Welcome to the Exponential Growth Podcast, where we demystify what it takes to break into tech. My goal is to highlight real-life examples of people with non-traditional backgrounds moving into careers they love, so you can too. Hey everyone, today I'm joined by Jerry Silver. Jerry studied theater in school, but today she's a senior growth and product strategy manager at LinkedIn. I feel like there's a lot more to the story, and we're going to dive in and learn more about her origin, experiences, and her eventual transition into tech. Jerry, welcome to the show. Thanks. Good to talk to you, James. Maybe we can start with what exactly is a growth and product strategy manager? Because I don't exactly know what that is, so I feel like the audience might be curious as well. It is certainly a bit of a mouthful uh, to say. I'm still getting used to it myself. But essentially, I'm on the editorial team at LinkedIn, and there is so much amazing perspective shared on LinkedIn. They could be shared by any professional who is already on the platform. We also have a team of in-house editors that are writing and creating content, hosting events, and taking that pulse of what is the global workforce talking about, because so much of that happens on the platform. And my team is responsible for thinking about how are people discovering this content? How are they engaging with it? How are we making sure that the right voices are reaching the right audiences so that people can learn from them and advance their own careers by staying informed? So we're doing things like, you know, running experiments to help our content reach more audience or saying, is there ways that we can make it more user friendly? Is there ways that we can make it resonate more with the people that it's reaching? So a lot of experimentation, a lot of trying new things. It's been a super interesting journey, not a role that I could have like crafted on paper until yeah. I've started to do it. Uh, but yeah, that's made it all the more exciting. I know personally, I started becoming intentional with posting every day on LinkedIn, I guess at the end of November of last year. So I, I can definitely appreciate your role and responsibilities. And I definitely want to get into that. But I'm curious, is that what you wanted to be when you were, you know, three to five years old? Or was it something completely different? <laughs> Uh, definitely would not have been able to predict it. And if I had, I would have needed to like invest in some stocks as a 10 year old, because <laughs> I would have been pretty wise. Uh, yeah, no, I think as, as a kid, and even as a young adult, I've not really ever had a super articulate vision of a career path. So I'm very happy with where I am now. But even, you know, a year and a half backwards, I don't think I would have exactly articulated where I would lead. So uh, yeah. yeah, no, it's, it's definitely been more of a, an interesting journey than that. Okay, so going back to the beginning, growing up, were you able to explore different interests and kind of find yourself early on? Yeah, I definitely feel lucky in that my parents encouraged me to explore a lot of different hobbies. I kind of took the computer classes at some local strip mall with the giant like 50 pound computer where I could play Oregon Trail. Uh, I got to explore, you know, sports, which I did not like at all. So I kind of had my quick little blip in that category. Um, But I mostly kind of had a childhood passion for theater. And that's where I built a lot of my community and identity while growing up was participating in community theater productions and then getting really involved in our school theater program, ended up making so many friends and kind of jumpstarting my, you know, my identity in that space. Okay. I like that. So I'm trying to think back to when I was in school, high school, at least I knew there was a drama club. Was your early foray into theater? Was it something like that? Or was it more nuanced? Yeah, I had a lot of different experiences. I went to sleepaway theater camp. So like three weeks of every summer in high school, I would spend at this old camp that was like a super old, like resort in the Catskills that was then transformed into kind of an intensive theater camp. And at school, we would do kind of full scale productions. And as a kid, I would get to do community theater, which is basically like no one gets paid, but 
uh, there's still auditions and you kind of still have to set aside the time and the commitment. And that would put me in a space with adults, which I think was, you know, a really unique experience for a kid is being maybe one of 10 kids in a production that has 20 adults in it, and then kind of needing to, you know, put on your adult pants for a while and like sure. get treated like a professional, even though I was very much not. Yeah. So at this point, high school, you're doing theater. Do you picture yourself becoming an actress one day? I always loved performing in a way that like some people do say career wise, you know, do what you love. But I think I always had the, the self-awareness to say it is an extremely challenging, you know, career path and one that is truly not an option to most, you know, being okay. on Broadway or being a professional performer is so competitive that the likelihood for most people is that you spend most of your years in the aspiring stage and may yeah. never actually get those opportunities that you're working sure. towards. My father had majored in theater and he had kind of followed a path of pursuing that passion. And when I grew up, he kind of was always an influence telling me like, mm, you should really explore other things. And he ended up exploring <laughs> other things as an adult as well. So yeah. I kind of always had it in my head that like, even though it was kind of all consuming to me as a teen, my ultimate career was a big question mark because I didn't really okay. think that was gonna be it. Okay. So then I guess moving on to college, did you go into college with a plan? I very much did not. Um, my college had a major, instead of calling it undecided, it was called exploratory, which felt very, mm. you know, encouraging. Uh, I remained exploratory for as long as one possibly could, which was half of my college career. Uh, at that point, they kind of forced you to pick a major. And I had just looked at my roster of classes that I had taken and said, eh, looks like psychology is the most of them. And I yeah. enrolled in that psychology major and that theater minor to continue to fuel that interest of mine. But even throughout college, I was kind of defaulting towards a concentration and not exactly knowing where I wanted to go. I can definitely relate to that. I did the same exact thing. I guess I went because it was a natural extension of high school and there was no intentionality there on my end. And yeah, I definitely, I paid the price because it. I've said it before, I'll say it, I, I guess forever. It took me eight years to eventually get an English degree. So I guess going back just a little bit, did you go to college because that was the natural progression, the thing to do? Yeah, I didn't really consider not going to college. And a part of that was, you know, just knowing there was so much that I didn't know. I wouldn't have known what to do as an 18 year old if I wasn't in college. So it was definitely valuable years just in terms of like kind of expanding my own horizons, getting to meet people outside of my bubble and even knowing what's out there, or at least starting to, I kind of only scratched the surface during those four years. Okay. And I think I see you got your undergrad at Ithaca College, and that is in psychology. And I think you told me with a minor in theater. So do you want to speak to that as well, to maybe the psychology bit? Yeah. I always thought psychology was really interesting in a way that it's just, you know, why do humans act the way that they do? Why do relationships kind of have the ups and downs that they do? Why can you know, interacting as part of society be so challenging. So it certainly wasn't boring. And that was kind of the number one driver to keep taking those classes and eventually let that roll into my major. And I also had assumed rightfully that whatever I ended up doing career-wise, that sort of knowledge would equip me with some sort of insights that help me better navigate interpersonal relationships, whatever the goal is, whether it's to sell or to, you know, gain clients or to get come up with new ideas, understanding why humans behave the way they do would always be some sort of interesting key to the answers there. So I enjoyed learning all of that. I had a lot of curiosity for it and I still do. Yeah, no, that's a great answer. So at this point, I see eventually you were a, I think, theater producer, but I also see that you studied at the University of London, which I'm excited to learn more about. How, how did that come to be? 
Yeah. I mean, that was kind of the continuation of my uh, clueless career journey of, you know, I was reaching the end of college and I was like, oh, now it's time to know what I want to do. I still don't. And <laughs> over those years, I had spent each summer working at a summer camp as a camp counselor, which was so fun. But meanwhile, all of my peers had been out there doing internships and apprenticeships and like they had a fully locked and loaded resume. So I was like, oh, I'm not qualified for anything like, you know, humanities and sciences, bachelor's degree with camp counselor experience. And I had also spent a semester of my undergrad studying in London, loved it so much, like loved the city. That was my first time really living in a big city, experiencing something totally different. So all I knew was that, you know, I felt like I needed to gain more experience. I loved London. And I was not ready to enter the full-time workforce yet. So I had started looking into what does it mean to get a graduate program degree, but from London instead of in the U.S. And I found that you can actually get a master's degree in less than a year in London compared mm -hmm. to in the U.S. where it's usually two plus. Uh, you didn't have to take a GED test. It was just a, you know, submitting your current grades and uh, other like a written application. And it was also far less expensive. So I was like, oh, this is actually an option. I could kind of emerge at the end of that year with a master's degree, with internship experience, with freelance writing experience, and also with the amazing personal experience of having lived in another country for that time. Yeah. So that was probably when I look back, that's like the number one non-regret of yeah. like kind of my, my education and my developing myself was taking that opportunity to study abroad. For sure. And I see you chose media and communications. So at that point, maybe for a second zooming out, did you ever envision a role like the one you have at LinkedIn today? Was there anything else behind that decision? It is fairly related to the interests that I was intentionally exploring at the time. And my media and communications program was a bit unique in that it was in the sociology school. So while studying psychology, the concentration that I ended up focusing on was very media related of what okay. sort of messages are we as society kind of getting from the media and how can the media influence what we do and how we think. And that's only become so much more prescient over these many years. But I continued to kind of follow that interest by studying media and communications as part of a, a sociology program. And at that time, I was just super interested in, you know, how can media be used for good? How can it, you know, help people accomplish their goals and I've hopefully not be toxic and, you know, what to watch out for to make sure that its influence in society can be positive and informative. Yeah. And I think that it, it does align very well with what LinkedIn is doing on kind of the editorial side of things of using things like news and insights and human stories to either help people advance their careers or refine their skills or get clearer about their goals and how they can connect with others. So I think I wouldn't have predicted it, but if I could like have a little future, you know, binoculars, I'd be pretty happy to see where I am now. Yeah, no, for sure. And how altruistic of you to have that intentionality, you know, especially thinking that maybe you didn't have the most intentionality going into that, because I thinking back to mine, Again, it took me so long to become intentional in what I was doing. So you're in London, you graduate with your master's. What brings you back to the States? Why not stay in London and explore? It's a good question. I think my my answer is a mix. Like one, it, it seemed hard to stay. Like I was like, 
I still only have so much experience. Am I really going to beat out this super competitive pool to get a visa and then to have mm. to fight to keep that visa? If I don't yeah. like the job, then I'm back to the drawing board. So I kind of just felt like a steep hurdle to climb. And then also personal reason, I had a boyfriend. He lived in California. I was like, eh, if there's anything here, maybe I should not double yeah. down on this London dream. So it was a short term adventure, but one that okay. I'm thankful for. Yeah, no fair. So back to the States and then on to theater and producing. Is that right? Yeah, my first job uh, was an assistant to a Broadway producer. And it was just such an interesting experience that I learned so much about careers and what not to do right off the bat. Uh, I was thrilled to have the opportunity. It kind of came very quickly. I was expecting to have to maybe take more internships or just like struggle and apply longer. But I got the the opportunity pretty quickly. But I also realized quite quickly that it kind of wasn't for me, you know, the yeah. I was not great at it, you know, the duties of essentially a personal assistant are is a lot of managing another person's calendar, fielding their phone calls, organizing their mail, picking up their mail. And it's not just that it's like kind of thankless work, of course, as an entry level person, you should maybe be prepared to do some of that. But it didn't work well with my even like my, my core skills. I wasn't good at it. I would mess up calendar appointments, I would yeah. forget to return a phone call. And it kind of gave me this moment of crisis of like, oh, wow, am I someone who was good at school, but I'm not good at work? And is this just what the future holds? So luckily, yeah. I was only there for about six months. Then I, I got a different full-time job where I was doing producing with a nonprofit, like a totally kind of different version of producing, where okay. I did get to use more of my actual skills of like relationship building and kind of curating and visioning what events could be like. How do we get audiences to show up to them? Um, and kind of then went on a, a trail of similar producing, similar but different producing adventures that allowed me to kind of flex my skills and build upon them in other ways. But okay. that th that first experience was super interesting just to be like, wow, there are many different jobs out there. Some of them are not going to be a fit. So you could still make sure you're getting the most of it and, yeah. you know, looking at it with the most positive lens and Great. taking the learnings that you can. But yeah, <laughs> it was an interesting start. Yeah, no, that's a big takeaway, though, because I think everybody that I've talked with so far on this show has done an amalgam of different things. And I think everybody realizes, just like you said, there are key learnings along the way that do translate, even if you think they don't. So definitely enjoy the journey. It's good to have a goal. You know, most don't initially, but I think you definitely found yours. So I saw that you produced the musical We Are Tigers. Maybe that was during what you just talked about. Join the Today Ticks group. Is there anything else there? Yeah, it was all kind of ha happened in an interesting, like linear path in that like, you know, I may have taken that first job and it wasn't a fit, but it did open me up to friends that were like younger and more scrappy theater producer types. And through getting exposed to that network, I ended up producing myself. So rather than being like the lowest level assistant to the biggest profile producer, I got to be a scrappy independent producer. And that was what We Are the Tigers was, which we mm -hmm. got to go out to LA, did a full scale production. It ran for six weeks, totally different flavor of you know professional adventure. And in doing that, I ended up working with the third party ticketing vendor, Today Ticks, to help me sell tickets to that show because they okay. operate in several markets. They help producers reach audiences. And while working with them as essentially a vendor or a client, um, I saw towards the end of the production's run that they were hiring someone to fill the role of basically the people that I had been interfacing with, the people who would help the producers and help the theaters. So I had already experienced that firsthand and I had that, you know, personal experience and passion for helping producers develop yeah. audiences. And it was a 
beautiful kind of opportunity to hop over to that company, which was really my first step into entering tech because they were very much a theater focused company on helping producers sell tickets and helping audiences discover shows. But they were also building first of its kind technology to allow people to do that to, you know, back then it was impossible to buy a ticket through a mobile app like that's in 2015 things have changed so much but you know what they were introducing was making ticket buying easy and really investing in technology to do that. Yeah, and also a transferable skill certainly today and generally at this point. Jerry, I ask people, you know, what was their first exposure to programming? And maybe that doesn't apply to you, but maybe it does. So I'm curious, at the point in the story, had you ever dabbled with code? No, and I would say it's still not my thing. I'm definitely a good example of a non-technical person who works in tech. But, yeah. you know, when I started working at Today Ticks, it was very cool because prior to that, I had no exposure to even like you know, what, what does tech even mean? Like, I probably couldn't have told you, like, what happens within a company that is building new technology. And then from that experience, at the time, it was a 35 person startup. So sometimes I would like, walk over with my computer and sit next to an engineer and be like, hey, this seems broken. And I would see them pull up the code and troubleshoot yeah. it in real time. And then years later, they were like, oh, my gosh, never do that. File a ticket, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but it was a really great, like close exposure to the process, yeah. which was really helpful because now, obviously, I work at a really large tech company. It would I would not have that same opportunity, but I have visibility to it in other ways. Yeah, no, I love that you don't do like the hands on down and dirty coding because you're you're living proof that, you know, you don't have to do that to break into tech. And it's amazing. So you're in theater. I see you joined Quora. I'm definitely interested to know, did you have a light bulb moment and you just knew that you wanted to segue into tech or was that serendipitous? Yeah, it, a bit of all of it. Like I, I had worked at Today Ticks for five and a half years. I knew it had been a fantastic fit, fit for me. It kind of catered to my love of theater, but also exposed me to this totally new interest, which is being part of the, the process of, you know, building and creating new things in the form of technology. And at the time that I decided to leave the company, we were about a year into the COVID pandemic. There had been no theater. It was just like a kind of sad year, you know, when we had yeah. spent the year trying to you know, find opportunities where there were very little opportunities or like, you know, put on a, a happy face and figure out how to make it work. But I was kind of like, you know, the future of theater at that time was very uncertain. We didn't know if it would be back in a year, less, more. And I knew that a lot of my colleagues had kind of like the passion and fire to wait it out. And I was just feeling like, you know, I don't like I could yeah. now take this opportunity to follow a new interest. Yeah. And that's when I started kind of looking for other things. And when I saw the role at Cora, I was like, oh, this is pretty great because, you know, it's not supporting creatives in that they are, you know, putting plays on stage, but creators are creatives in their own right, you know, whether they're making video or they're writers or just sharing thoughts and bringing kind of high value conversations online. I love and appreciate that the way that I do love and appreciate the arts. So it was a pretty exciting pivot, although it did kind of bring me more squarely into the the tech world as opposed yeah. to the world of theater that I came from. Yeah, no fair. And we love to talk about interviews here. So maybe it's been a while, but maybe not because I, I see you also obviously moved on to LinkedIn. So I'm curious if you think back, how did that interview process go for you? Any tips, tricks, advice? Yeah, I think my biggest tip that I think worked in my favor is that even if you are doing a bigger pivot, which like, you know, you could have looked at my resume and said, wow, it's a big pivot. You worked in theater. And why do you want to work in tech is to really highlight 
the similarities over the differences. So, you know, I could have gone into those interviews and been like, obviously, I've never really worked in tech, but I didn't say that. I said, yeah. you know, I have worked directly to support individual aspiring creatives to reach an audience and yeah. to kind of find value from a platform. And that's exactly what this role is too. And I think they heard that and they were like, wow, that's much more relevant than maybe the other people were talking to, even though I was the one who had to kind of craft that narrative. So I think it's definitely worth looking at the two roles and saying, you know, maybe it doesn't matter if you're not a marketing manager at tech company applying for marketing manager at tech company, you can find other similarities that really tell like a clear narrative. And that's what I've done while making that pivot. Yeah, like we talked about earlier, there's always transferable skills from your past that lend themselves to your next play. All right, so it looks like about a year after Quora, you joined the best company on the planet, the one that we <laughs> both work at now. So what prompted that change? Yeah, I, I really, I like what LinkedIn is doing. I like LinkedIn as a company. It's a platform that obviously I had used for years, as do most professionals. So when conversations started to happen between you know me and recruiters, I was like, Oh, I don't think I could say no, you know, like it was a pretty exciting opportunity to even start to consider. And then as I talked to more people on the team and got to know kind of the faces behind these, the teams and the roles that I'd be working on, I was like, oh, of course. <laughs> so luckily I was, I was given the opportunity to join and it's joining at an exciting time. People are sharing on the platform more than ever. We're releasing yeah. all of these new and different creator tools. So it's been a really eventful year and it was a good jump to make when given the opportunity. Yeah. So that interview process, anything there worth touching on or was it kind of cut and dry? I think in that case, it's just like, I, I talked to probably five different people and I think that there's definitely something to like matching the energy of the people you're talking to. Like I talked to some people who are like super immediately bubbly and like really excited to talk yeah. about, you know, maybe we have a mutual interest that is visible from our LinkedIn's and kind of like establish that sort of connection. Whereas with talking with other people, it's a lot more cut and dry. Like what's the most yeah. that I can learn about you in 20 minutes. So kind of picking up on the energy that you're getting, especially in one of those things where you're, you know, doing the same thing in front of five different interviewees. Yeah. Don't just like do the same monologue, you know, right. try to try to pick up on what the person needs from you. Right. So that's the interview itself. I'm curious, I, I guess I should have led with what about getting that interview? Did you have pre-existing relationships with people that eventually got you an interview or were you able to leverage your past experience? Because a lot of people struggle with actually getting their foot in the door to even have that chance at interviewing. Yeah, in the case of LinkedIn, it was a, a sourcer a recruiter who reached out to me. And I think that's because, okay. you know, I had that experience from Quora, which had creator in my title, and they were looking for people who had worked with creators. But I think like, the thing that I tell people who are kind of like, you know, how do I get a job at LinkedIn, or one of the, you know, big tech companies, I don't think I ever would have been considered. And I certainly wouldn't have been reached out to if I hadn't had that time at Quora. So even if you're, you have a goal and it's like to work at such and such big company, like having those stepping stones along the way are still super important. So like, it's much better to apply to five companies. Maybe they're not your number one dream company interview and land one, yeah. spend a year there and then make a leap rather yeah. than spending years applying to like one dream company. That's hard to get in the door for. Yeah, no, for sure. So now what's your typical day in the life of your current role? Yeah, it's uh, wow, never, never a dull one. <laughs> and they do change a lot. There's kind of like different paces and different kind of projects at different stages at a given time. But 
I work with a lot of internal folks. Some are product managers, product marketing managers, uh, folks on our data science teams, and others on our editorial teams, like editors and community managers on various projects. And those can be sometimes like, you know, let's test a completely new version of this thing that we're already doing. We've done the same way in a long time. Or, you know, what happens if we start adding this into our workflow? Does it make things more efficient? Does it reach our audience in better ways? So yeah, I would say there's almost no typical day, but there is a lot of writing, a lot of meetings that are as productive as they can be, uh, a lot of kind of measurement and, you know, looking back on things that we've tried to say, like, was this success or what what would success look like if we were to iterate and try again? Um, so kind of constantly seeing how things are panning out, learning from them, iterating, trying new things. Yeah, I think that translates well across most disciplines, at least here at LinkedIn. Yeah, it's a very like experiment focused company, which I love because you're always kind of answering little questions along the yeah. way to ultimately kind of answer big questions and yeah. unlock more opportunity. It's a full-time A-B test. So LinkedIn for creators, I see you had that as your chosen link on your LinkedIn profile. Is that your initiative? Or are you just really passionate about that? I think you touched on that at the very beginning, but I'd love to know more. Yeah, well, I'm on the editorial team and the editorial team is both news and community management. Um, so communities encompass everyone who might post on LinkedIn. And really in our definition, anyone can be a creator. It doesn't need to be like creator with a capital C with a million followers on sure. you know, Instagram. It could sure. just be someone who's learning interesting things on their professional journey and is taking that time to share it with others. So the page that I link to, the LinkedIn for Creators page, is where people can go and hear updates, resources, uh, tips for just either getting started or building upon what they've already got going, sharing on LinkedIn. And I started sharing on LinkedIn a little over a year ago just to kind of you know, walk the walk of what my job mm -hmm. is, which is to think about exactly this. And I did it at first just for that to be like, you know, I want to see what's easy about it, what's hard about it, what's annoying about it, you know, and I've ended up really enjoying it myself. So I yeah. genuinely encourage anyone who is like kind of taking the time to reflect on what they're learning and what they're going through at work to take the time to share that with others and the the value that can be exchanged through doing that. Yeah. Do you leverage the scheduled posts? I have. Yeah. Especially while it was like during holidays, because I kind of will sometimes I'm just like in the mood to write and yep. then I want to just like spit it out. And then I get yeah. really excited to just like let it go live in that moment. But yep. there are times where I'm just like, you know, time zone wise, this is not friendly for a lot of people. Or right. what if I want to be a little experimental? Would I feel like I reach a different crowd if I let it go live at 6 a.m.? So it's right. good for things like that. Based on what you know now. If there's a theater or arts major out there listening to your story and they think that they might be interested in transitioning into tech, you know, they don't code, but what advice would you give them based on what you've done? Yeah, I would say, first of all, don't be deterred by the fact that you don't code. And there are ways to start working in tech that do not even involve like a coding boot camp. Like I know a lot of people are like, oh crap, do I need to take a coding boot camp? And that's like one really great way to open doors. But there are so many roles within large tech companies that are not technical at all. And even within small, you know, there's always going to need to be people who are, you know, interfacing with clients or, you know, like coming up with the copy and all like, there are just so many more than I would have imagined when I was younger. So I kind of wish someone had, you know, whispered in my ear years ago, like there are so many more opportunities than you're even dreaming of. Yeah. So I would say like, think about what you're interested in 
outside of theater and it could be anything like you don't need to know what your dream company is like I would spend time on LinkedIn just putting in keywords of like oh I like movies I'm just going to search for jobs that have the word movie in the description and you might stumble upon some tech company that is actually building something in movies Um, if you're interested in like social justice you could find a tech company that has that at the core of their mission so I would say like don't put the pressure on yourself to identify your dream tech company. Just like instead spend the time exploring what's out there. There are so many startups, so many tech companies, and then back it up from there. Say, what do they need? Do they need someone who can work with their clients? You know, if you did theater, you could do that. Like, do they need someone who is, you know, pitching or selling? You could probably do that and just start like go with the mindset of, I can probably do most of these things because if you set your goal to that, you probably can especially if you don't need to learn to code. (laughs) Yeah, no, I like that. Start with what they need and explore your interests along the way. And then I guess design the life that you want. So that's, that's beautifully said. Yeah. And I think it's, some people have a lot clearer goals, you know, and I think that is great too, but it definitely worked for me to just say, you know, a dream job doesn't need to fit a hundred requirements. It just needs to like swirl around these few things that I know I'm interested in and then start to like kind of open the floodgates about which companies are already doing those things because likelihood are so many more than you think. Yeah. All right. I would like to put you on the hot seat to better understand the psychology of a psychology and theater major. Are you ready for that? Sure. It's been a while, but (laughs) I can speak for my current experience and my limited memory. All right. What does your typical morning routine look like? Morning routine. As of two nights ago, it involves not having my phone in my room with me, but (laughs) that's a very new element of the routine. Um, Hopefully it sticks. Uh, I have a dog who I adore. So it's usually, you know, waking up, gazing at his eyes, being like, wow, I am so lucky. (laughs) What kind? Uh, He's a mix. He has Chihuahua, Poodle. He's like a scrappy, you know, wiry, blonde guy. But I, I'll get out of bed, almost immediately take him for a walk. And that's always a really nice part of the morning and a nice way to be like, okay, I've actually moved my body before hunching over the laptop. Yeah. But then shortly after that, I do hunch over the laptop and I uh, have some sort of breakfast usually at the same time. I forgot to ask you, do you work remotely? Are you hybrid? Do you go into the office? Yeah, I work remotely from LA. We don't have an office out here, but I am moving in three weeks to Seattle and that will change my routine a little bit. I will still be mostly remote, but there is an office in the the region. So I will at least have an option to go in at time to time. Yeah, no, that's awesome. And is that a Microsoft office, but it still kind of doubles as a LinkedIn headquarters as well? Or do I have that wrong? Uh, There is a Bellevue office. I think it might be within a Microsoft building, but it's a dedicated LinkedIn space. I've heard some stories where you can flash your badge and you'll get your lunch compensated and then the Microsoft employees will give you the evil eye. So that that might be fun. (laughs) Okay, I'll have to test it out. All right. If money didn't exist, what would you do every day? I feel like I I have this conversation with friends a lot. Something that I love is... I'd probably spend at least like two years of just like full on travel adventuring and make sure I've really seen every nook and cranny (laughs) across the world. I mean, everywhere if money was not a thing, but I would definitely love to spend some time in Australia, New Zealand, which is like, it's such a far trip from here that it can be really hard to like prioritize, but I hear it's gorgeous, you know, all over Europe. Uh, My boyfriend said Tokyo is his favorite place he's ever been. I would love to experience that. So I would start there. But then something that I love just as kind of a hobby is seeking out sort of like craft fairs, like the kind of things where it's there'll be like 100 vendors in their individual tents and they're selling pottery and they're selling art and things like that. So I could see a world where I like 
either own my own like boutique that showcases independent artists or maybe I'm organizing those sort of craft fairs. I just like always really appreciate people who like create craft in that way and yeah. could see myself leaning in. All right. What books or podcasts have had the biggest impact on you? There was a book that I read about a year and a half ago that I would definitely recommend. And I don't, I mostly read fiction and I love fiction. So I'll okay. shout out to a few of my favorite fiction books. Um, sure. The Interestings by Meg Walter is a favorite. Okay. I just finished reading uh, one called Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow, which was great. But kind of like a through line in the fiction books that I read are is just kind of like following either groups of friends or family members as decades pass and you know, life has its ups and downs. And it's always like a, just a good reminder to me that like life is long, you know, you're going to have your ups and downs. Ideally, you are valuing your friendships and keeping them close because so much yeah. can go wrong. But, you know, my friends are so important to me. So that's the fiction answer. Uh, but the more kind of like personal growth answer is there was a book called Ikigai, uh, The Japanese Secret to a Long and Happy Life. And hmm. I read that as part of a workbook club. And it kind of it familiarizes you with this Japanese word, which is essentially the key to happiness um, mm -hmm. as defined through this word. And it's it basically is like this concept of like finding flow, like someone who loves to play the piano, like the kind yeah. of joy that they get from playing the piano. Someone could find Ikigai through their coding uh, or just solving a puzzle or a game night with friends. It, kind of, it just inspired me to like look at my behaviors and my work through this lens of like, am I tapping into this sort of positive flow in this or am I not? You know, it just yeah. it gave me a, a new lens to kind of like, you know, look for fulfillment within. And I would just recommend it because it's talking about a concept that we don't even have an English language word for. But once you read the book and it's a short and snappy one, you kind of have a, a new frame for seeking you know fulfillment in life so yeah. i would so, i'd recommend that one for sure tldr there's a single word in the japanese language ikigai which i'll definitely have to, to look up and put in the show notes i-k-i-g-a-i <laughs> unlocks all of life's secret and your maximum potential right there one word yeah read that book and like the, it also does like really interesting case studies of like you know people who live on this island in italy that are routinely living to 110 like what wow. is so different about their lifestyle it's super interesting I'm going to add that to my reading list. Thank you. <laughs> Love it. What's yours? Do you have a, a go-to book? I do. And, you know, going back to your to your fiction, I never thought that you would be able to pick up so many profound things from the fiction genre. I'm definitely guilty of prioritizing, I don't know, biographies of business leaders. And I started doing that when I was working on the boats because I realized, yeah, now you're a real person. You've got a real job. It's a whole different game that you're playing now, the game of life. So why don't we see how some of the, the bigger players did it? And then you can kind of, to your point, back into whatever you think you want. So in terms of personal growth, I think Seven Habits of Highly Effective People was an influential one for me. A uh, book by Napoleon Hill, Outwitting the Devil. It's a lesser known book from him. I think he's most known for Think and Grow Rich. But yeah, Outwitting the Devil was a, an interesting take don't ask me to summarize it now because I won't do it justice. But I remember that was probably if I had to pick a single book, that would be the most profound and influential personal growth book that I've read. Wow. Okay. I'll ping yeah. you later for those Amazon links or not Amazon yeah. independent bookshop. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. All right. Back to you. Tell me about the two or three most influential people in your life and how they impacted you. 
Okay. I would say, you know, my mom, we're very close and she's always just been so supportive. Like she was this voice ringing in my ear when I had that first job and I was having those questions of like, wow, am I just not good at work? She was just like, get out. You know, like Mm -hmm. if you're at a place that doesn't value you or that you're not happy at, you're not broken. Like get, get out, seek things that do bring you joy and that was like the best advice I could have gotten. So having that sort of influence has been very positive. My dad also, like I'm lucky. I think I have a lot to learn from both of my parents. He had a journey like mine where he had this passion for theater and then he ended up having a path that was completely different. So I always really value my conversations with him and what I can learn from his perspective of also kind of like, you know, being part of the corporate ladder and uh, kind of also working towards work-life balance and things like that. You know, this is it's more of a whole than an individual, but like I consider myself very lucky. I have a lot of best friends. You know, I'm still close with like six people from high school and 10 mm. plus people from college. And I just like every person who I've for, maintained relationships with now for 10, 15 years, like means so much to me. And seeing yeah. all of their journeys is just yeah. fascinating. And like seeing them find what winning is in their own unique way. Yeah. Now, that's amazing that you've been able to to maintain those intimate relationships with that many people, because I think I know for me and for a lot of people I talk with, you know, true friends are so far and few between. So good for you. Thanks. Yeah, definitely. And it's like it helps with the career journey stuff, too. Like sometimes you need to talk to someone who isn't your mom and isn't your dad, definitely isn't your coworker and just get yeah. some like real talk. And yeah. it's nice to have some friends around who could do that. Yeah. Outside perspective. Okay, if you could send a single message to your former self to help you during this transition into tech, what do you think that would be? I think it would be keep an open mind. Uh, I I think when I was younger, I didn't rule out tech. I did less than that. I didn't even consider it. It did not even cross my mind. And... I, I don't think that I had ever like fully leaned into like exploring like what even are careers? What are all of the options out there? What are all the companies? What are all the ways you can contribute to companies? Yeah. So I wish, I mean, keep an open mind, but also rev up the curiosity <laughs> because I think I there were a lot of questions that I had answers only through experience. And as I've unlocked them, I'm like, oh my gosh, why didn't I know that? And yeah. I think there's a lot that people can learn now. We have so much access to it, like on LinkedIn, even on like, AI chat GPT tools, you can like answer so many of your questions. So I would think like, you know, unlock more of your curiosity earlier. Yeah. Keep an open mind. Stay curious. Never lose that childhood curiosity. Yeah. What's next for you? What are are you working on? Um, What's next for me? I continue to to chug along on the editorial team here at LinkedIn. It'll be an interesting year. We're continuing to really like nurture the voices of creators who are contributing on the platform, create, you know, like new ways to continue to engage and to share knowledge. So it will be, there's a lot going on and I'm just like glad to be involved. Uh, And I think that the ways that I'm involved will continue to, you know, grow and change over time, but there's never a dull project. Yeah. Is there anything else that you wanted to talk about today? I don't think so. Okay. (laughs) Is there anything else you think people considering a career in the tech industry might find useful that isn't that message that you would send to yourself? Yeah, I think something that took me by surprise and like so many of these learnings that I'm having are still so new. It's like new as of me a year ago, you know, but I think when I got the job at LinkedIn, I kind of got this swell of imposter syndrome of like, oh, is this going to be the moment where I joined this company? And I'm like, oh, wasn't cut out for that. You know, wasn't Mm -hmm. good enough. It's like too elite, you know, too competitive. People are too cutthroat and they're going to like see me for who I am, which is not that. And it like couldn't have been more the opposite. Like I find 
the, the larger companies I've worked for, the more notable companies I worked for, people are so excited to like encourage each other, to affirm each other, to yeah. get to know people on a human level. So I would say like any preconceived notions you have about working in tech, like, I mean, hopefully it's not just my unique experience. I hope this could be said for more people, but it has been so much more encouraging and empowering than I would have expected. And I think that anyone who is kind of self eliminating themselves out of like a fear of intimidation should rethink that. Yeah, no, that's great. That's a great message. And I know I still struggle with that. A lot of people I talk to still struggle with that. And definitely, I can't speak for a lot of bigger companies. But to your point, LinkedIn, I know I totally lucked into and backed into, we, we jokingly called the perfect company. I didn't know anything about the culture here at LinkedIn. I just knew that it was a great opportunity to break into tech. I knew they were, you know, one of the big players. And then day one of onboarding. And ever since, I still feel like I'm in the honeymoon phase of the whole experience. Everybody's just been, to your point, extremely genuine and doing everything that they can to help you along the way. It's amazing. Yeah, absolutely. And there's definitely not one type of tech worker, you know, like yeah, if you have this sure. kind of homogenous view of like, oh, I'm going to be working all with people like this. Like, it's not that, you know, like it's been the most diverse group of people I've ever gotten to know. Yeah. So that's been awesome. All right. Where can people go to find out more about you or support your work? I am most active on LinkedIn. So I would check me out there. Okay. I will add your profile in the show notes. And Jerry, I just want to thank you so much for coming on and telling your story. You are living proof that you don't have to be born with a, a keyboard and code in your brain because no one is, you know, you can still <laughs> break into tech with a, with a dream and a mission. So thank you so much for sharing. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for helping to tell these stories. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Exponential Growth Podcast. If you enjoy this conversation, be sure to follow the show on whatever podcast application you use. Just search for Exponential Growth, How to Break into Tech. If you got value from today's show, consider leaving a five-star review. And most importantly, if you know someone that might be interested in breaking into tech, tell them about the show.